Hello and welcome to today's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Now this is the second in our ResiCast series around this year's Resi convention. I'm going to be joined by Rebecca Francis and Matthew Kyle from Osborne Clark and Todd Marler from Greystar. Now operating large and complex apartment buildings is never an easy gig at the best of times, but it's been particularly tough during the COVID-19 crisis. So today we're going to hear from the world's leading residential firm and a couple of prominent legal experts talking about health, safety uh, and, and how companies should be managing risk. Now, Greystar is obviously the leading, uh, well, leading rental housing brand in the world of expertise in investment, management, development, uh, and they manage over 690,000 units globally. Now, in the UK, Greystar's portfolio is worth over $5.3 billion, and it includes over 37,000 units, both of residential and purpose-built student accommodation. Now, Todd, it's obviously been a tough time for everybody in the market over the last sort of six or seven months, but on some levels, you could argue that, that COVID-19 has, has proven the business model of built rent. It's proven the business model of multifamily with these highly amenitized, highly serviced buildings where, where people are able to work out from home, able to work from home, and pretty much do everything they would need to within the four walls of the building. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, it's interesting. We we know that the people that are renting from our um, properties are renting not just the apartment that they live in, but they rent the square footage that's available to them. Um, but they also rent the quality of square footage that's available to them. And I think with COVID, that's only heightened that need for people as people are working from home, spending more time in home, the square footage that surrounds you becomes so much more important than it ever has been before because you're spending a lot of time there. And I think um, it just shows the importance of providing quality housing for people um, that have the things that they need to do um, the multiple tasks of their daily lives, um, but in ways that are, are you know really enjoyable um, and it has an impact on the way that they live their lives. Um, I think also the service piece of it is so key because it has heightened or highlighted the need for people um, to have services available to them um, where they live to, to have that ability to, um, if you had to self-isolate and you didn't have access to others, to have a team of individuals in your building that are providing a level of service to be able to say, I can go out and, and get those groceries for you if you needed that, or I can provide additional services for you if you need that. And and that's something. And those that, are all things that you've done, aren't they? They're, they're actually, that's good. Those are both good examples of where you've actually gone over and above simply providing uh, amenities, simply providing service, simply providing high spec buildings. It's actually, it's the softer stuff, isn't it, that makes the real difference? It, it really is. I, it, a perfect example is we know that people that live in our buildings crave community they want to be part of a greater community and we provide that for them in different ways but during a covid world it becomes very hard because when you have to socially distance you're asked to do the opposite of provide community but we've been able to look at how do you still provide a sense of community so example of things that we did not only did we have virtual resident events but we had some events where we for instance provided a pot and a seed to every resident and we just 
ask them, send us photographs of your plant as it's growing in your apartment and share, um, you know, where you're growing or what makes you happy about where you have it in your apartment. And then we would share that with the greater group of people living in the building so people could see pictures of other people's um, plants growing and it just connected them together. Like that's a small example, but how you figure out how to create a sense of being attached to other people who are experiencing the same things is really important. And it's been very important during COVID um, even more so. But that is a key function of what build to rent housing provides for people, not just the building itself, but it's the community that they live in and being an active part of that community. And how have you dealt with some of the obvious problems that you've had to face in terms of, you know, obviously people having potentially having COVID, you having to abide by legislation, regulation that's been changing pretty much overnight and uh, and, and that's obviously something that we're, that we're facing right now. So how have you responded to that? And, and, and what have been the challenges, given your investor base, given that you are one of the, 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 the biggest providers of housing in the world? Yeah, I mean, it, it highlighted the importance of being flexible and needing to be quick to react, because um, ultimately, what we do is we provide quality housing that's safe housing and in safe environments. And so we constantly have to be figuring out how do you provide that level of safety and how do you ensure that that is, um, you know. Yeah. So Todd, what's been some of the feedback from your customers over the last six or seven months to how Graystar has responded? Obviously, you've upped cleaning, you're being flexible over letting people move, you're being flexible on payment terms. What have been some of the learnings that you've, that you, that you've gathered operationally? And, and how have they differed between different 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 asset classes? Well, I think um, w- one of the things that we realized, maybe not early on, but quick enough, was that um, it's not just about what we're doing and how we as the operator are putting in the right measures, which we were doing and really thinking about how we do that. But it's also about how are we partnering with our residents to ensure that the entire community is being safe in what we're doing and how we do things. And so not only are we providing the cleaning regimen, but by providing the tools to also keep their environments clean, by providing communication, like we said before, about how to book spaces and how to clean the space yourself before you go in and when you're using it, and then know that we're also doing the same thing and having a cleaning crew come in between each time you're there. Um, I think really resonated well with residents because it's equipping the entire community as which I talked about before living in a community being part of a community to also be part of um, the the action plan um, of how we're going to keep the community safe and I think how people reacted to that is that people want to be in an environment where they know that they're they're health and safety is being thought about and that it matters and that um, we're communicating about those things, but that we're also equipping them to participate in it, um, I think is is really a key piece of it. Um, And I don't think it does differ between asset classes, to be honest with you. I mean, I think in terms of build to rent, purpose built rental product, um, whether you're at a low entry level of that or you're at the high end of that, the health and safety piece doesn't change um, and how we communicate with the residents about that doesn't change. Um, So if we have less amenity, it doesn't mean that the process should look any different operationally. Um, And so I don't think there really is a difference. And I would even say to somebody who's out there and has their own 
you know, apartment building, small building, and they're renting it out. They have the same obligations that I have, even though it's a different um, asset class and it does look different, but the health and safety piece of it doesn't matter. And what you offer the residents should be the same in terms of health and safety is the focus of what we should be doing every day, whether mm. it's COVID or not COVID. Yeah, yeah. So, Re- Rebecca, um, in terms of, I-, I guess, what this looks like legally now, uh, is there going to be an expectation from from customers, from tenants, that some of the, the things that have come out in the wash during COVID start appearing in people's tenancy agreements? Are we going to start, you know, just as we've seen force majeure con- uh, clauses in, in commercial leases, are we looking to, uh, are we going to see certain things in, uh, in ASTs as well that, that look to protect consumers against some of the things that we're seeing? Um, I mean, to be, to be honest, I think most well-drafted tenancies will have quite a few general provisions anyway, which would, would have assisted um, in this situation in terms of, you know, reserving a right for, for your landlord to, you know, reconfigure or, you know, restrict access to amenity space. Um, I think those sort of provisions, they may want some, you know, some tweaking in light of this, but they, they should certainly assist. Um, and also, you know, when, when we're, you know, in, in lockdown proper, um, I think there's much less of a, a of an issue in terms of people, um, you know, trying to to claim some sort of rebate when your hands are tied and what you're doing is just, you know, um, adhering to government rules, not just guidelines, but actual restrictions. I think the difficulty comes when you're in a sort of quasi um, environment where, you know, an operator may decide that certain amenity space is just too difficult um, to keep COVID secure. Um, Now, whether that would be objectively or not might be the question and i think you know you even though your your tenancy might be reasonably robust to to prevent people trying to say i you know i, I shouldn't be paying as much rent i think you, your risk there is probably more on a consumer law level rather than a, a a sort of pure landlord and tenant um but i think that's again sort of coming full circle it's going to be about communication um, everyone feeling that they're mm. they're working together in this this fight. To well, yeah, I mean, it. generally, once you, once you've got to the point of arguing over the terms of contract, the relationship's typically broken down, isn't it? So, I mean, that's, that's the ideal ideal situation is that you, is that you resolve it before it gets to that point. And and just to bring Todd back in, so from you know, obviously you've got tens of thousands of uh, of, of residents across thirty seven thousand properties in the UK or thereabouts. Um, that more more are appearing each month. Um, that's a huge number of people to be managing, Todd. And clearly, you're going to have some disgruntled souls within that. But obviously, this is a business you know well. You know you've 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 been in the sector for 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 a long time. Um, clearly, it's about how you deal with the problems rather than just pretending those problems don't exist. Yeah, absolutely, I completely agree. And I guess I know I keep saying it, but it goes. To communication and having clear-cut processes in place, but then also making sure your teams are empowered to have those 
conversations at the individual level to understand what a person's yeah. complaint or issue is and then how do you try to resolve that and, and that's the core of how you deal with it we mm. did have a few residents you know who would say hey i don't have amenity space i should pay less rent but i think when you have an open dialogue and conversation to be able to say yes but if you went to a pub right now you couldn't go in there either um but you still have to pay you know the same for everything else that you're doing like it, mm. It's not just us who's telling you you can't use the space. It's not that we don't want you to. It's just yeah. that currently that's not available. And I think those but I guess on, on the plus side, you're all, but, but your spaces are all back open now, aren't they? So, I mean, as a Greystar customer, clearly one of the selling points has always been that highly amenitized offering that gives you access to all manner of other elements, yeah. services, which add quite a substantial value premium to to what you pay which which goes beyond a simple rental fee when you when you work out what it includes um how you know what's the usage been like have you seen it go through the roof presumably in terms of uh, people using spaces as, as quasi offices and and gyms over the last few months yeah i mean absolutely uses potentially gone up slightly. The reality is I think the usage was high before this. We do have a, a lot of people that would work from home portions of the time anyway in the business that they're in. But what we've seen is now having to be more calculated about how we approach that because now people have to rent out spaces or book spaces for periods of time. Um, they don't rent it, they don't pay, but they have to book it for their time slots. And so we've had to be creative about how do we make sure that those um, amenities are available to everybody in a very safe way. Um, but um, we are seeing usage very high for sure um, among all of the spaces. Um, but like I said, and, they were and, used and prior to COVID too. Yeah. And, and what, what are you seeing demand looking like now? Because obviously um, the, you know, the, 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 the economy is a bit of a crossroads uh, with, with the furlough scheme ending uh, and, and you know, other micro lockdowns now appearing what's what's your view on on where the market's going and and do you see uh or do you expect to see um multi-family built around playing a greater role in 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 the market as, as we move forward you know where where people ha are now thinking more carefully about where they live where they actually deciding actually i quite need all of these extra spaces are you envisaging a demand uh being stable increasing over the next year yeah, I mean, what we already knew was that there is a demand for housing um, and not enough housing for people. But we also know that there has continued to be um, a, a demand for quality housing with COVID. I think that has become the, the most important aspect um, in renting an apartment. People want to think about what's the quality of the location I'm going to be living in. And I want quality accommodations that give me the right amount of space um, that, again, also have those services uh, along with it. So I think the demand, and we've seen that, the demand there continues to be very strong. And I think it will continue to be very strong for people who have that quality um apartment that has quality finishes that have quality amenities that um you know also have great service I, I think people are drawn to that and they're only drawn to that more after covid as i said because where you live becomes so important to you and the other thing is i think originally with covid people stopped for a minute and had to think about okay what am i doing where is my life going but we're well into it now and i think as people realize okay covid's not going away but my life has to continue and i've got to now 
move because I needed to move before. Um, so there's this underground kind of pent up demand that we're seeing start trickling in and, and leasing um, velocities have continued to go up um, month over month um, over the last several months since um, kind of that initial COVID lockdown ended. Because um, there is a need for it and there's a need for that type of housing. And I think people want that kind of um, housing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, Re- Rebecca. In terms of, I guess, some of the other, um, some of the other breaking issues around COVID, what are some of the queries that that you have been helping clients to solve over the last few months, and and what what are some of the other things that you've learned, or that your clients have also learned? Um, I would say that the queries that I've been dealing with have obviously changed or evolved. Um, there was obviously lockdown proper, as I keep saying, um, you know, threw up a number of challenges. But actually, I think there was probably a bit of a surprise as well about in, in BTR, actually, how how well it held up and actually how few real issues we saw. Now, that also could be as a result of furlough scheme. I think student was a um, different, different issue altogether. But actually, BTR during lockdown proper, it seemed to be quite calm. Um, I think issues are starting to come out a, a, a bit more now as you are in, in PRS generally um, in terms of people not being able to pay their rent um, or looking for, you know, looking to the landlord to help sort of, you know, agree payment plans or, or what have you, or even looking to, to to potentially move or get out early even when they didn't have a right to. So it's sort of working on a, a sort of a communication piece as well again not just strictly on your terms of your contract but looking about it you know in the round and practically because you've got a big reputational piece even more so with with BTR than you would with traditional PRS um so so it's been a a, a lot around that and obviously where there have been issues with with tenants which you know again people were locked down for a long time there were there were issues pent up issues um sort of navigating um the the legislative framework that the government put in place to prevent evictions or possession and that sort of on the ground issues that we've been trying to 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 work through that is still still an issue um and probably will be for for quite some time mm. yeah i mean i guess it, you know these things are going to affect different parts of the market differently uh, todd i mean in terms of you know thinking it operationally how you know i mean what's the average what is the average staff for for one of your developments how many people would be on site at any one time at, at one of your schemes appreciate you you've obviously got very different schemes in terms of some of the 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 chapter student developments and then your your shining new land landmark development greenford keys uh clearly they're the different sorts of developments um what's a typical number of, of people on site at any one time? And then how do you, as the operational boss, make sure that you're supporting your teams how, you know, in, in the movement like this that, that, that's so fast changing? Yeah, that's a great question. The number of staff I can't answer because it's based on the size of the building, but roughly let's say we've got one to 100 units. We actually probably have two to 150 units roughly um, uh, is kind of the idea. But um this is where we bring out our chart with the R number on it, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, our teams range very greatly based on the size of the building itself. But how do we manage their needs during this is really key. And I think it, it is about, um, you know, 
reminding them and all of us what we do and the impact that it has on the communities that we're a part of and the importance of their job. And then being, again, thinking about health and safety and everything we do, which is what we did, um, and really figuring out, okay, what is the right way to ensure that we've got social distancing where we can, that we encourage people to stay um, you know, safe where they can. And then if they're in locations where they have to interact more frequently, how do we put the right measures of mask wearing, hand washing, hand sanitizers, um, all of those things in place. Um, and it was a two month period of really looking through all of our operational procedures and saying, what do we have to change and what do we have to revamp and what's needed? And then being flexible enough to continually evaluate what's working and what's not working. Um, and then also the other thing we did is evaluate our teams, not just at the building they live at, but our teams as a whole and saying, if we need to cluster some some buildings and have team members work at places that are closer to them than they normally had worked at before, um, you know, to cut back on travel times and like just really being flexible and open and honest with our teams. And then the other mm. thing we did is, is from an HR perspective, taking the time to sit down and really understand the needs of each of our team members um, and saying, you know, what is it that you require right now and what works for you and how can we try to accommodate that um, so that it's the right thing for the business, but it's also the right thing for our teams because that's how they deliver the best service then to our residents. If they're happy to be there, they're going to be much happier to take care of the residents. And, and that's what it really is all about um, at the end of the day. So, mm. I mean, and, and on that, Matt, um, in, in, obviously Graystar is a vertically integrated investor, developer, operator, but many parties will contract out asset management, property management services. So, does that change the the legally? Does that does that does that make it more complicated? Because again, if I'm an investor and I've got a third party managing um, managing my property, obviously that's a service that Gracer also provides. And I should probably say at that point for for Todd Todd's waving at me vigorously. Look, there he is. Um, but but assuming that my third party manager isn't Graystar, it, it it's someone else. What where does the legal liability lie in terms of ultimately making that safe? You know, who I guess who do I sue is my question. Well, in the short answer, it potentially it could be could be both in the sense that out of you know one activity, you can have more than one um, duty holder. Um, but in that scenario, that's exactly what you'd expect a lawyer to say. Yeah, isn't well, it? there we are. <laughs> sue uh, everybody. Sue everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but actually, you know, you think who's who's most proximate, who's got the most control? Whilst you might say, well, you know, as an investor might have the control, can pull the plug or, or make the contractual arrangements. Actually, if you've if you've sort of delegated that responsibility and, and arranged it properly, and um, then you know the the, the primary liability will, will sit with that third party. Because what it's really about is being able to say, turn around and say, I can have justified reliance on that contract to that party to manage that safety mm. because I've resourced them, given them the information. I know they're good because they've been procured through a sensible process. And, you know, to a degree, you are providing some kind of check or monitoring. Now, that doesn't mean standing on their shoulder, clearly, because you're quite remote. It's, you know, what, what's proportionate to the risk and, 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 you know, just being able to demonstrate that. But it, if you can sort but of... But as an investor, yeah. obviously, you, know, you you take a certain amount of reputational risk on well, hand I mean, that, that, when you invest in this space. Yeah, you? and that's where it cut, that, that's where almost it cuts across, um, if you like, a, a contractual liability or even a, yeah. you know, a regulatory criminal. You, you know, reputation can be everything and, and is much more immediate than, than the law 
obviously the law never works. And on, on that point, and, and, and Todd, have you had to, presumably, you've had to be pretty rigorous in how you report to your investors, um, not just on, on general typical operational performance, but on, on some of these other measures as well. Um, how, how involved do they tend to want to get you know, with these sorts of things? In terms of any economic downturn, in my experience, it has been the same. Investors during periods of challenge get very much in the weeds because they want to know how is my asset doing? What's the value going to be of that asset? Um, how is it being impacted by the current environment? So they get very much involved. They want to understand how much rent has been built, how much rent has been collected, you know, how much bad debt is sitting out there. What is my risk level? Um, what's my future risk level? Um, lots and lots of, of key pieces of information. And they should want to know that. I would expect them to want to know those things. Um, and, and we're happy to have those conversations um, because they need to know, um, you know, how is my asset doing? And more importantly, how are we going to manage through it to ensure that it's positioned well, even in an economic challenging time? Um, and that's not just a COVID issue. That's anytime there's economic challenges. But I guess, but to, to some extent, in a downturn, as we're, as we're now seeing, you know, we've talked about residential investment being a defensive asset class, being counter-cyclical, being that, that, that sort of go-to uh, default that people will continue to pay their, well, hopefully continue to pay their, their rent um, because it's their home. Um, is that something that, that you think will, be, that will uh, shine through this, this crisis? Well, I mean... Yes, you'd hope so. But whether people are able to um, is another question altogether. And uh, that might come down to the flexibility. If, you know, they can't, if they were in a two bed um, and they've, you know, unfortunately lost their job or taken another job that, you know, can they go and downside, downsize within a scheme? Um, you know, it, it may be more about that. Um, but obviously, and I think when I said I was sort of surprised earlier during um lockdown about the sort of lack of issues um you know perhaps it was unsurprising because of course you know your house and your home is going to be number one um and fundamental when you're told that you can't leave it so um i think you know we'll just have to see how things play out post furlough and you know into the new year mm. and 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 todd from a grace our perspective what have been some of the technological innovations that you've had to grasp quickly or, or play up and obviously you know you've, you've always been pretty ahead of the game to start with but but clearly you know you're going to have been doing a few more virtual viewings possibly than you were before using uh, a lot of that supporting technology to just to, to move things very quickly how, how has that changed or, or elevated yeah, I mean, obviously, we were already aware that there are a lot of people who look at apartments virtually, they go online, they research us, and, and they need to see what the apartments are like, but then they come in and have an in-person tour. Um, it has just moved the needle so that I think, and I think that will not change. I think going forward, people will expect to be able to do virtual tours, they'll expect to see flyby video of the assets, they'll expect to get a total sense of what a community is about before they even show up on the front door. Um, so we were lucky that we had a lot of those things already in place, because we didn't 
we could utilize those and then push them forward. But I think um, there are other technologies that we were starting to play with that I think um, were really helpful. And, and now I realize, again, I don't think it will change. I think there are technologies that are here to stay, but things like having virtual events. So we know that our residents want to be a part of doing community events where we bring them together and, and we have wine and cheese or whatever we're doing, Taco Tuesday, whatever you want to do. But I think virtual events are equally important where people are, have the option to choose what they want to participate in. And so we had concerts put on that were virtual concerts that our residents could attend. We had seminars on how to write resumes. We had, um, you know, yoga classes and all the fitness classes that people could do in their homes, but it was all at when they wanted to do it, how they wanted to do it. And providing that kind of virtual event um, platform, I think is something that is here to stay for us as going forward because um, you know, it, it just creates another level of service that we can provide to to our residents. Um, and so I think, yeah, I mean, technology has been key to being successful. But do, do you think it's proven the critics wrong? Because there, there have been people that, that, have, that have always said, look, if you're going to build clusters of rental apartments, the Brits don't want all this shared stuff. Brits are private people. They're not like you Americans that love to, to hang out and be part, you know, uh, be sociable and speak to each, speak to strangers, all of these scary things that the English are supposedly uh, not fans of. But it, it, it sounds like a lot of that has kind of gone out of the window a little bit. Is, it, is that fair? Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm an American, so I, I didn't realize that those were the case for, for Brits. But I think um, what I know to be true is people are people. And I definitely think it has proven the fact that, that, People want to be parts of a community. They want to um, interact um, with others and, um, you know, be a part of something. Um, so absolutely, I think um, it has proven the model um, for, for Build to Rent. And I think that's a global model. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and Matt, finally, in terms of, I, I guess, some of the, some of the disputes that, that, that we might see what are the things that, that, that you know your crystal ball tells you might be coming up on the horizon and, and what are the sorts of considerations that investors developers operators might want to, to to line up now to avoid themselves being on the end of a nasty phone call from rebecca <laughs> um i mean i think we've already in, in terms of a safety context we've already talked about the fact that there is um i think covid has brought a heightened scrutiny so there's the expectation that things will be provided safety and then perhaps a heightened scrutiny not just of COVID things but health and safety generally so when you link it also back to sort of technology I think um you know what you what you consider is probably the bar has has raised slightly as I say both in terms of resident expectation but also in terms of what's perhaps reasonably practical for you to do with with the use of technology to avoid you know certain risks altogether so I think actually you know really thinking about the services designing in and um, technology to avoid safety risks and, and, to, and to avoid you know those um you know that exposure i, I think is going to be going to be quite critical it's, it's really for me it's about almost stopping and, and thinking yes we provide these services we've always thought about health and safety but actually probably now um you know that that's going to have to be up to up to a few levels in terms of our sort of competence in, in what we're doing and um, I think it's going to be under much more scrutiny. I think on the on the tech side though um, I think it's even more important it brings you know data protection and privacy again even more to the forefront 
and especially if you're putting in place technologies to to help with COVID management, um, you know, people are really going to seriously have to think of it, particularly if you're outsourcing to third parties or giving third parties access. Um, so I think that's going to be a, a sort of really hot area for potential disputes if it's not thought about properly at the outset. I bet you wish you'd stayed in the States, didn't you, Todd, when, when, when you sort of discover GDPR it's like <laughs> should, have, should have stayed in San Francisco so oh, I don't know. I think it's, just, a, it's a global movement I don't think it's only been the although <laughs> Europe was the leader of the movement <laughs> no I think it's, it's it's creeping across the Atlantic that's, look, that's fair that's to it. say but look but but just in, in, in seriousness then just just to just to kind of close off so Greenford Key uh it, you know that is is one of the the landmark multifamily developments anywhere in Europe. Um, tell us a little bit about how that's going, Todd. What, what's what's, the, what's the, the sentiment there in West London um, and what can the market really expect from, uh, from that project? It's obviously been operational for a while. You've got uh, numerous other phases coming forward. It's a wonderful landscaped uh, area around it with the creek and everything. Um, w- w- what's, what's, the, what's the vibe over there? Yeah, it's really exciting project. Um, you know, we really we set out saying we want to build a, a, an entire community. We're building a place, um, and we want to be part of the greater Ealing community. And I think we are achieving that um, beyond what I think many of us even had expected. It's been really great to see how the exterior settings has the estate piece of it has really driven community, um, bringing people in um, to, to use our exterior spaces, but then allowing our residents to be a part of that as well. And, um, you know, our first block has been um, 100% PC'd and is open um, for leasing and the leasing has gone very, very well. It is a truly purpose-built, from a Graystar perspective, multifamily building. Um, you know, we designed it from the ground up so that the lobby space and the office space and the amenity spaces are in the right location with the right flow and it's proved out to be exactly what we were hoping it would be, you know, a great community where we're people have access to all kinds of different um, um, possible spaces to use and are actively doing so. Um, you know, it, it really has been um, a very successful project so far. We're, we're just gearing up um, for starting construction of our next block um, to, to come on of the seven that we will um, eventually have there. Um, and uh, it, like I said, it, it, it's really been an exciting project. Even in um, this period of COVID, it has continued to be a success for us. Thank you then to Rebecca Francis and Matthew Carr from Osborne Clark, to Todd Marler from Greystar. I've been Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. You can subscribe to our propcasts from uh, your Apple, Spotify platform or anything else you're using to listen to this. Please do stay tuned and please do get in touch with us if there's something you'd like us to cover off on one of these episodes uh, and stay tuned there's going to be a, a, a lot more to come and also do head to the resi convention website for any further information on this year's event thanks a lot for listening see you soon